0: It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist.
1: Featuring all the latest news and insight
0: on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated, Chris Mannix. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network.
1: Daily Assist brought to you by Lee's Heating and Air. Check them out online, lee'sheatac.com. Out to the Sprint Special Guest Line we go. Sprint, they make it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit sprint.com for online services and local store availability from Sports Illustrated. He is the great Chris Mannix with us on the big show. Hi, Chris. How are you? What's going on, guys? You know, uh, we were just kind of talking about Dennis Rodman and the the Michael Jordan documentary. We, of course, asked you about it uh, last week. But how interesting to see uh, the, the Dennis Rodman episode in specific, because I, this jumped out to Gordon and me. Can you imagine, you know, uh, Dennis going to Phil and saying, I need a vacation and disappears on a four-day bender to, to Las Vegas that was only supposed to be two? I mean, just wild.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, what what that underscored to me was that, Phil Jackson really was an incredible coach. I mean, you go into a season like that and the circumstances being what they are, where your GM says from the beginning, this is the coach's last year, a coach that's coming off two championships in a row, uh, what was it, five in seven years or whatever the number was, and a GM says you're not coming back. And during the course of a season, that GM, Jerry Krause, lobbed some grenades your way in the press as it was I mean, even without the Rodman stuff, Phil did a remarkable job. But you know, just kind of understanding the personality that Dennis Rodman was, and understanding that the best thing for the health of that team would be to send Rodman away from it for a while to, to party his brains off and, and and to live it up. I mean, that's you just like no. I don't know any other coach that can handle a situation like that. Not you know, currently, ever. I mean, we've seen some great coaches throughout history do some remarkable things, but. You know, whether it's Pat Riley or Greg Popovich or all the way back to Red Auerbach, I just, I just can't see a coach, you know, being as, as skilled with personalities as Phil Jackson was.
2: One of the things that stood out to me as I'm watching these episodes is how much different the game was back then than it is now. And, and I don't know whether one is better or worse than the other one, but some of that physicality, Chris,
0: it was pretty out of control at times. Well, yeah, you you never see stuff like that in today's game. It's all been legislated out, where you know you know elite stars in the NBA are treated almost like quarterbacks in the NFL. Like you can't put your hands on them uh, under any circumstances, and if you do, there's likely going to be a heavy fine or suspension uh, coming your way. It wasn't like that in the early 1990s, where you know you could build an entire game plan around being physical and bullying and knocking down uh, Michael Jordan. So. It just was a different game. Now, now the NBA determined in the early aughts that you know this, you know that wasn't good for business. You know that that having games that are like 86 to 80 or you know well under 100 points for each side, that just that just wasn't going to be good for television, good for growing the game. So they changed all those rules, took away hand checking, decreased the physicality. And look, you can't argue with the result. The league is this global phenomena that that is growing popular, more popular by the year. But, uh, you know, it certainly gives you more respect for the things that Michael Jordan had to do and players that era had to go through, you know, given how NBA, NBA teams let defense body them in ways they never would today.
1: Gordon and I were talking last week how this documentary is, is probably going to be mostly stuff that we know, but there's going to be some interesting little tidbits sprinkled uh, throughout it. And one uh, from episode, I think it was three, where they were talking about the shot he hit over Craig Elo. I thought it was fascinating to hear Jordan say, man, they should have had Ron Harper guard me. And Ron Harper felt the same way. And, of course, history is history. But those little minor details that, uh, that uh, come up I find pretty interesting.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's always the little things that a coach or a fan base will dwell on in the aftermath of you know memorable plays like that. Whether it's you know defending the inbounds pass, you know in that ninety two was a Duke game against Kentucky where Christian Layton threw the ball the length of the floor. You know, there's you know there's, there's all sorts of of little things you can examine and scrutinize and wish you could do differently. And I'm sure. You know that's one of them. It seemed like Ron Harper certainly knew that he's a better fit defending Jordan. Uh, Jordan certainly knew that, but that whole that whole sequence of events was just you know just a, a bad luck in a lot of ways. I mean Jordan kind of wriggle free and really no one was really guarding him in that moment. Even caught up to him late, but that was an open shot that Jordan took in Game Five of that first round. And um, you know, you, would Ron Harper have done something differently? Who knows? But uh, I, I know Ron Harper shouldn't thinks so.
2: Going back to what you were talking about before with uh, with Phil Jackson and, and Rodman, one thing I did not know, and I don't know whether I just wasn't paying attention, Chris, I did not know that Michael Jordan went to Vegas to reel Dennis Rodman back to the team. I did not know that. But th- those are the kinds of things, th- those little moments where you're see something that you did not know well and and the little reveals like uh michael jordan when tex winter came to him and said there's no i in team and he said but there's an i and when that that those are just little glimpses of the way jordan thinks and and because he was the greatest ever in my mind i i think that's educational to any, anybody watching
0: yeah I, I agree i mean i think there's Look, I've always said that if coaching superstars was easy, there'd be more than a handful of coaches that have won championships this century. I mean, you know, coaching superstars is incredibly difficult. It takes a certain mindset, and it takes a certain connectivity between the coach and, and the player to, to accomplish it. I mean, there's so many different machinations to winning a championship, but that's a big part of it. And look, Greg Popovich has mastered it. Eric Spolstra was excellent at it. Um, you know, and Phil Jackson, obviously, what he did with the Bulls and the Lakers might be just the the, the, the supreme leader of it all. So, you know, it just it, it takes a special kind of coach and uh, coaching staff to be able to deal with that, and certainly give credit to the player. I mean, Jordan, you know, he got it. You know, eventually, later on in their careers, Shaq and Kobe, they got it. I mean, they're, they're, there's a history is filled with guys that have have figured out at some point that to win championships. You have to evolve, and as we saw in that documentary last night, you know, Jordan figured it out in the early 1990s that to win championships, he not only had to involve his teammates, but he also had to get stronger. If, if, that, if bully ball was going to continue, he had to hit the weight room, gain that 15 pounds, and, and, and sure enough, you know, that contributed to his ability to win a championship. Chris,
1: as the country figures out a way to open things back up again, and we're obviously right at the beginning of that process as a country, we found out from some reporting today about uh, the NBA and how they may get back to operating in their practice facilities, and we found out some of the precautions that they may have to take. Your thoughts on what we learned today and where we are at in that process, if it (laughs) is even possible.
0: Yeah, look, I think it's very possible that in the next two weeks you will see practice facilities uh, open up in the states that have loosened their stay-at-home restrictions. I mean, I wrote this morning that that May 1st date that was floating floating around over the weekend was, was something of a moving target, but it certainly was within a week or two weeks of that date they'd like to open up these facilities. And the way it was explained to me as I wrote in my column that, you know, it's not a safety issue to keep the gyms closed. It's a safety issue if you keep the gyms and training centers closed and public gyms open up and players start going to them. In other words, you know, NBA teams, even if these, even if the coronavirus you know pandemic is not completely resolved, which is not going to be anytime soon, uh, NBA teams, you know, they, they, they want to open up these facilities just to keep players away from like Equinox or. You know, 24-hour fitness because we know that if those types of gyms open up, players who are starved to work out will find their way there. So it's almost safer for the NBA and its players to have these facilities open up. Where I think it becomes problematic is the impact it has on the credibility and legitimacy of any upcoming playoff. I think if you have, you know, the Memphis Grizzlies able to work out for the next three weeks in in their facility and the L.A. Lakers can't, uh, to me, I don't care how much of a ramp-up you have, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, the Grizzlies are going to have an advantage because, as we know, players aren't just you know, not working out to the level they're used to. Some of them aren't doing anything. You know, I, I, I know all-star-level players that are barely touching a basketball uh, right now or have not in, in weeks or months. Jason Tatum, we saw on TV recently, said he hadn't picked up a ball in, in over a month. So uh, I think if you're going to have a postseason that you want to have end with a legitimate champion, you either have to have all players eligible and available to go into a facility, or none at all. If you start to open up these things in piecemeal, that's fine. You can have some type of playoff, but I don't think that playoff can end with a quote-unquote NBA champion. It can be some other kind of champion. You could have an NCAA tournament type of of, of thing go on in the month of July. You can have all thirty teams eligible to play in at the month of July. But if you're talking about having, you know, the 74th NBA champion, I think if you start opening up these facilities in piecemeal, uh, I think that that really challenges the integrity of it, which has already been challenged and will be challenged enough with the format already.
2: Man, I'll tell you, Chris, that is a strong, strong point. And given what you just said, I don't know how they can do it. I, I don't know how they can do it and make it equitable
0: no it's it's impossible and uh, i talked to three people within the league you know last night trying to kind of you know hash this out and, and and hear some kind of ideas on it and there really aren't any i mean you you can't have players flying all over the country going to other places to work out i mean these guys have families there're obviously concerns with with spread of the virus if they start moving around it's just not possible now i i think the nba in a way should should kind of embrace it like you know have a a 32-team single elimination tournament and have the winner be crowned some other form of champion. Have a monetary prize, maybe, at the end of it for the players that, that win. I mean, look, even if, it's, if it sounds goofy on the surface, players are still going to play because they want to get paid. Networks are going to broadcast it because, I mean, they broadcast anything. They put that awful horse game on TV a little while back and so they'll put anything on there right? And that's content and media's going to cover it because, as a member of the media, we don't have anything to cover right now. So, I think you kind of, you know, kind of fly into the teeth of it and say, "We're going to do something unique. We're going to do something different. We're going to give you a postseason, but we're going to say this year there is no NBA champion. There will be a vacant title for the 2019-20 season."
1: Chris Mannix with us from Sports Illustrated, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Kind of on that note, Chris, um, you know, the the revenue coming in, as Adam Silver said, uh, what was that a couple of weeks ago, is at zero. So anything would be more than nothing. But how would it be worth it if they could produce a TV owned product or is the loss of the gate so much that it wouldn't maybe would not even be worth it?
0: No, it would be worth it. And, look, I don't buy the whole, like, we have this social and civic responsibility to come back. I mean, I mean, come on. Like, everybody's a capitalist in this situation. Everybody's doing it for, for the bottom dollar more than they're doing it for anything else. The, the issue is, from what I understand it, and I wrote about this a little bit back, um, look, the revenue's not almost zero. I mean, TV money is still coming in. Like, TV networks are not not paying the NBA because they don't have those force majeure clauses. If they do, they're not gonna exercise it because they wanna maintain a strong relationship with the NBA when the contracts come up in, in a few years. Uh, what would have to happen afterwards is that the NBA in next season, if the year was canceled, is the NBA have to do something they call make goods, which is effectively completely changing the schedule to give Turner maybe some more games, to give ESPN maybe some more games, that would have a trickle-down effect to the regional networks as well. It would just wreak havoc with the scheduling and how they, they, they divvy it up among the networks in the 2020-2021 season. So, you know, they're not losing money necessarily, but they want to avoid that type of scenario next season. Um, and, by, and to avoid that, they just have to put these games on uh, in the summertime, and it doesn't matter if they're fans in attendance. So, yeah, I, I think for the benefit of of everyone, um, you know, playing these games in some sort of way in the summer uh, makes a lot of sense.
2: So is that, Chris, based on what you know, and I know you're keeping up to date with all the information that's coming out, you're reading all this stuff, what What does Chris Mannix think is the most likely scenario? If you were a betting man, you said, okay, I'm going to put all my chips on this square, which what one are you going with?
0: You know, the, the needle is starting to move enough in the country that I'd probably put my money on the on the game coming back in some form in some sort of postseason in July. And that means in the month of June they start their ramp up which is going to be a three to four week type of training camp. You know, maybe they try to squeeze in a couple of regular season games. I don't I don't know, but I do think we see some form of postseason in the month of july i think look a lot of this is going to be predicated on what we see coming out of georgia and oklahoma over the next couple of weeks these are states that have opened up and these are two states that also have nba teams um they're states that are saying you know we're open for business on a limited level if they're able to do it safely and we don't see a spike in infection rates and other states start to follow suit which i'm sure they will Uh, then I can see a lot more momentum for getting the game back. But I think based on what we know about where the country is trending right now and and the signs we're getting from the NBA about opening these facilities, um, I think that's that's where I put my money on.
1: Chris Mannix from Sports Illustrated is with us right here on 97.5 and 1280 the Zone and I want to ask you about this Chris cuz you're <clears throat> excuse me there in Boston in the Northeast where you know dealing with this has, has certainly been very serious. You know, is, is there a significant chance that the fall is going to be affected as well when it comes to the NBA cuz it seems like some of these hard hit areas that is certainly no guarantee that everything is just going to get back to normal in the summertime, right?
0: Well, no, it, look, it sure sounds like it. And I base that only on what I hear from experts like Dr. Fauci and, and others that are in the field that have consistently said it's more likely than not that the coronavirus comes back in in the fall. And, and look, it's just impossible to predict what we're what we're going to do, what the NBA is going to do at that point. I mean, How severe is the outbreak in the fall? Do they have not just testing, and I'm sure testing, or at least I hope testing, will be at a different level come September, October but also are the therapeutics that are out there that, that make this you know far more easier for people that are infected to handle, that make it more manageable uh, for people. So I think there's just a lot of variables that we just can't account for right now, progress that we need to see made before you know, we get back to normal. All we know is that experts are telling us that this will be back in the fall, and where we're at as a country I think will determine you know, just how, how, how open the NBA is for business.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. And, and when you look at the sports calendar now, a lot of stuff has been shoved to the fall. You know, all kinds of events in various sports. It seems like that calendar is really filling up. And you wonder what's going to happen if there is a second wave. And, 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 and then what? Who Who's going to decide what at that point? I, I just <laughs> I'm just waiting to see, Chris, because I have no idea.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, you, you've you got tennis tournaments, all the major golf tournaments, at least some of them, um, in, a, in a horse racing, in addition to the major sports, they're trying to find their way back. It, it, like everyone's kind of putting their chips in this fall, it'll be okay basket. Uh, granted, they don't have much of a choice at this point because the spring and early parts of the summer look completely unfeasible for, for team sports. But uh, I think everybody's kind of just crossing their fingers and hoping that we get – uh, some kind of reprieve in the fall, or at least that the advancements in testing and therapeutics and, and all the other treatments are significant enough that even if there is another outbreak, it, it doesn't result in a complete shutdown, which is the position that we're in right now.
1: You're right, Chris. We all have our fingers crossed, that's for sure. And sometimes it feels like that's about all we can do. But we certainly appreciate you jumping on with us and keeping us up to date. You got it, guys. Thanks, Chris. Chris Mannix from Sports Illustrated, your NBA daily assist, each and every Monday right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.
2: Jake, what do you think that's going to look like? Do you think it's going to be all or nothing?
1: For the NBA, no, I
2: don't. In, in the fall. I mean, when, I wonder if, if the NBA gets going again, will everything pick up from there? And, or, or all these events that have been shoved off to the fall calendar, I I wonder if... If some of them start up, if everything will start up, or if nothing starts up, then everything's going to be washed out.
1: I think college sports have a more challenging time of it because of the government's involvement, for one thing. And second of all, I mean, yeah, if you can't even safely open up schools for students, how could you justify having a college season? So I think that that murkies the water for, for colleges a little bit. But, you know, with these pro leagues, You know, these are private organizations that that have the ability to dictate their own flexibility. So, you know, if you get creative and figure out a way to to negotiate around circumstance, I would bet more on pro leagues, uh, you know, ability to do that. And certainly the NBA is has shown a capability to think outside the box in the in the past. So I would I would give them, you know, give give them an opportunity certainly to do that. But what, what Chris brings up is, I think, a really good point. You know, the more we learn and, you know, learn about treatments and, and best therapy to give people who have uh, who get sick and, and the best way to, um, you know, save lives with treatments. Right. I mean, as we get more and more capability, I think our ability to do more and more things. Uh, it becomes greater and greater and greater. And I think, you know, this first step we figured out that our, our medical system wasn't overwhelmed by the first wave, and that's a really great thing. And so now, okay, how do we, you know, get better at it and get more flexible and get stuff done in spite of the obstacle, right?
2: Yeah, it's almost as though when you look at it right now, all you can see is what's right in front of you. Right. I mean, so it it seems like it will always be like this. But you bring up a good point that as we learn more, as advancements are made, uh, people are hopeful that those advancements will be made, that more knowledge will be gathered, that there will be some uh, some viable solutions as we move on through this process. But right now, all we can see is what's in front of us. And sometimes you can get a little discouraged with that. Right.
1: Right. So, you know, stay optimistic. And I like how the NBA is handling this. Chris brought up a good point. You and I touched on it earlier today about, you know, competitive balance. And some teams can open up their practice facilities and other teams can't. So how do you negotiate that? And and he's right about one thing. There's been some momentum in the country to to figure out how to get things as normal as they possibly can be. And the NBA, I think, can be a leader in that. But uh, that's no reason to rush people back to arenas when it's not safe. So how do you right. negotiate you know how do you negotiate those waters and still figure out a way to salvage the season if that's possible? And the first step in that is opening up facilities so players and staff can figure out a way to get the job done. That's step number one, and we found out a little more info about that today. And maybe if step number one goes well, we can figure out how to get on to step two.
2: Yeah, yeah, that is step one. You got to be able to get your players. To a point where they can actually play, and that, that it's almost um, unbelievable for for our listeners to hear what Chris said that he knows of players, NBA players, who haven't touched a basketball in two months. I believe it. I or, believe it. Uh, They're about maybe not uh, what seven weeks or whatever it's been. I mean that that's hard to believe. But if it is the case, then how in the world is that player going to be able to recapture what he is, what he does?
1: Well, if somebody had to shelter in place in midtown Manhattan, Gordon, how are they supposed to do anything with the basketball? <laughs>
2: that's just, that's, it's true. But you, you, you would think that these guys would have access to something, you know? But even if they had access, what what's their motivation? Right. Uh Yeah, I I, I don't know. I don't know the answers to those questions, but it's just hard to imagine. Name me a player, Jake. Name me a a player who is typically in good shape.
1: Me? Let's see here. Mel Turpin.
2: (laughs) Dinner Bell, Mel? No. Give me the name of a current player. Patrick Beverly. Can you imagine Patrick Beverly just sitting around with a a beer belly, you know, just doing nothing? Yes. (laughs)
1: Yes. <laughs> They're all going to look like Ray, aren't they, Jake? Ray Ray, Ray the, the buffet, buffet, yeah. We're going to see a few buffets come back.
2: Holy cow. That would that would be shocking. It's going to be a like a beer
1: league. <laughs> be awesome.
2: All right. Guys guys going in short uh shifts, kind of like hockey. You know, you just change all your your uh, 20 timeouts a game, Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it could be, I don't know.
1: Well, I'm more next 975 and 1280 of the zone.